So today, I want to talk, well, we'll read a scripture and see if you can figure it out. How about that? Sometimes fun to see uh, by the scripture what you might title something. But let's go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you would call him the weeping prophet. He was a man who was the mouthpiece of God. He spoke to God's people. And God gave him words that the people needed to hear, whether it was something they wanted to or not. So in Jeremiah chapter 50, we're going to read three verses there, starting in verse 24. I have laid a snare for thee, and thou art also taken, O Babylon, and thou wast not aware, thou art found and also caught, because thou hast striven against the Lord. The Lord has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the utmost border. Open her storehouses, cast her up as heaps, and destroy her utterly, and let nothing of her be left. Slay all her bullocks. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe unto them, for their day is come, the time of their visitation. Today, I wanted to talk to you about the day of visitation. The day of visitation. Lord, I pray that your word would come into our hearts. Let us receive what you have for us today. I pray that it would do the work it needs to do. Let us be ready for what you want to do in us and in this world. And I pray that we would be obedient to you and that we would be in alignment with you now and in the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. The day of visitation, this was a day of punishment to Babylon, a day of destruction. So as you can see, it said, I caught you. You were doing things you weren't supposed to, Babylon, and I'm angry about it. I'm going to take out my wrath on you. So this, this was not something you want to experience if you're Babylon. It's the day of visitation was a time where they weren't expecting to be for the, for the wrath, the anger of the Lord to come down on them. They were not ready for it. And if you're a parent, you might find out sometimes when it's quiet in your house, you might want to be worried. Something might not be going well. There have been a few times where I'm like, it's too quiet. Let's go find what the kids are doing. And they're upstairs, like, playing. And I'm like, this is great. Okay. This was a wonderful day of visitation for you two. And, you know, I'm almost going to come up next time with something you'll enjoy, maybe a treat or something. So that was a day of visitation for them or a moment. But when it's too quiet, there are times you'll go into a room and there's crayon on the wall that wasn't on there before. Or you go into a room and someone's bleeding that wasn't bleeding before. And it's not a good day of visitation. Whoever caused the blood, well, come with your father. We're going over here. We're going to work through this. And you're not going to get off scot-free. There's a wrath involved in the day of visitation at times. So Adam and Eve, in the beginning, had a regular day of visitation. They would meet with the Lord in the cool of the day. 
There was one day where they did not look forward in a good way to that day of visitation. They came, in fact, the Lord came to the meeting place, and they weren't there. They were hiding, and we know why. They had experienced sin. The Lord said, this, you can have every tree of the garden, stay away from this one. And it was a, an opportunity for them to obey God, to walk in his steps, to remain covered by his glory and have that intimate communication with him. But if I was Adam, I would have ruined it too. I would have come over there and said, well, if it makes you happy, maybe I'll have a bite too. I mean, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I believe if any of us were Adam and Eve, maybe it would have lasted a few more days, maybe a few more years, but the, um, the deception of the enemy can really get into our heads, and if we let it, it'll lead us astray. So the day of visitation for Adam and Eve was a day of death. We didn't see them die physically that day, but spiritually, they had no hope. They, God had to kill an animal, literally, so that they could, he could cover them because they had to be covered now that they were in sin. There's other, some other scriptures that describe the day of visitation, and we don't have to turn to all of them, but in Isaiah 10, it talks about how desolation on the, righteous, on the unrighteous who reject the needy is part of the day of visitation. Those who push away those who need some help and don't see that blessing others is a way of showing love, which is a way of showing what God wants to show us to show others. So desolation on the unrighteous who reject the needy. In Jeremiah 46.10, it says, it's the day of the Lord of hosts and it's a day of vengeance. So God will come and avenge his adversaries with the sword. In Jeremiah 46.21, it talks about how these people cannot stand because it's the day of their calamity upon them and the time of their visitation. So it, for, in this case, the day of visitation meant calamity for Egypt. Not a good description of the day of visitation. In Jeremiah 42, 6, um, it's talking about the people of Israel, and they, they made a promise. They said, whether it's good or evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord, or whether we like it or not. But this ended up not being, they didn't end up following through with what they said. God's, God wanted his people to leave Egypt, and they said they would obey God, whether they liked it or not, but they ended up trying to go back to Egypt. And we see that in Jeremiah 43, 7, when they went back to Egypt. And then another chapter later, we see what happens because of that. Therefore, now thus says the Lord, this is Jeremiah 44, 7 and 8, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, wherefore commit you this great evil against your souls to cut off from you man and woman and child and suckling out of Judah, to leave you none to remain, in that you provoke me unto wrath in the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, whether you be gone to dwell in, that you may cut yourselves off, and that you might be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. So the people provoked God and did evil against themselves. God didn't say, I'm just going to destroy you because I want to. He said, 
Because of what you did, you brought evil upon yourself. Our decisions affect our future. What we decide to do now is going to decide what we can have or not have in the future. The people provoked God, and it did not go well for them. Um, in Micah 7, 8, it talks about the day when the, the day of thy watchman and thy visitation comes, and now shall be their perplexity. So God visits the evil man with perplexity. When we get ourselves stuck, when we do evil, we will find ourselves in a place where we are perplexed. And we're like, I wish I would not have done that. In Jeremiah 51.18, it says, they, and they're talking about the idols of the inhabitants of Babylon, are vanity, the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. There is death in the time of visitation. In Ezekiel 7.19, they shall cast their silver in the streets, and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. When God's angry, do you think you can pay him enough to be happy? If he's mad, your money, your gold, your silver means nothing. All your accomplishments, it might have made you think you were in the right place. But if God's mad, God's mad. If you didn't meet his expectations, he can do whatever he wants. He is God. So what did we learn about all these passages? This is describing to us what the day of visitation is. I chose the day of visitation because it's one of the tamest descriptions of the day of the Lord. And if you're in the right place with God in relationship to him, the day of visitation can be well anticipated with a smile and joy. But if you've been doing the opposite of what God has been saying you should do, you're not going to be looking forward to him coming back. You don't want him to find out that you've been doing what you wanted to instead of what he wanted you to do. So this day of visitation, we found that it's a day of judgment, a day of punishment, a day of destruction, a day of vengeance, a day of wrath, a day of death. It is also, though, a day of justice and deliverance and salvation. So I have a little demonstration here that shows kind of what it's like with the, the day of wrath of the Lord. So if, if this is a, the place where God has designed to put the people that he wants in his kingdom, he's going to go through... He's going to say, okay, it's my turn to visit. Let's see how you did. You obeyed me. You followed my law. I see that my blood is on your life, and I'm going to put you right here and build you into my kingdom. And then he goes and looks and says, ah, I remember giving you time and chance and grace, and I saw your wickedness and wanted you to turn to righteousness, and I sent this person into your life to tell you about the good news of the gospel, and you rejected it. And I sent you another, and you rejected it. And there is no blood on here. I want to put you there, but you chose destruction and death. And it's, it pains God to do that. He wants us to be here, but he leaves the choice up to us. 
And that's what happens on the day of visitation. So that is what we can describe as the day of visitation. What is the purpose of the day of the Lord? Does God just want to destroy us all? No, he does not. There's some scriptures that prove that he's not out just to get you. In Micah 7, 18 through 19, it said, Who is like unto you that pardons iniquity, that passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever, but he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast their sins into the depths of the sea. He wants the sins to be cast away from you. He wants those things to keep us. Uh, he does not want the sin to keep us from a relationship with him. He wants to get rid of them so we can have that connection. The day God visits humanity, we don't serve a God in heaven who's waiting for us to mess up, who's got his lightning bolts like, all right, let's see, if he, let's see what he does this time. Oh, gotcha. That's not the God we serve. That is not him. He wants to pardon. He wants to subdue iniquities. He wants to remove our sin. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering. Like, he bears with us. He, he's willing to deal with us. He puts up with us. There was uh, something I saw, a Valentine's Day heart. Tracy might know what I'm talking about. It didn't say, I love you. It said, I tolerate you on it. <laughs> you know, God loves us enough. Sometimes he does just say, I tolerate you. I'm going to put up with you. He is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed on the day of visitation. He gives grace, and he gives the opportunity to repent. So if God doesn't want man to be punished, then why is the day of the Lord described the way it is? So I have six points here. I'll probably just hit them real quick, throw them out there real quick, and then we'll deep dive into those. He, there, he doesn't want us to be killed. So the way that he describes the day of the Lord is, one, so that all the world will know that he is God. He says that over and over. I was amazed at how many times, just in my regular reading, not even in specifically in preparation for today, it was, so that they may know that I am the Lord, just came up over and over. That is a motivation of God. He wants to reveal himself. So that's why there's a day of the Lord, so that the world will know that our God is the Lord. Two, so that God gets the glory. He will be glorified. He will not share it with another. Three, so that the wicked will be punished. Can we have a just, good God if he doesn't punish wickedness? Four, so that the righteous will be justified. Five, so that we fear him. We need a healthy, God, a healthy fear of God in this world. There's too many people who just write him off and say, ah, he doesn't even see what I do. No, the Lord sees, and we ought to fear him. And six, so that we prepare. God says, there's a day of the Lord, and I'm coming, so get ready. 
Get ready. I'm coming. In 1 Peter 2.12, it says, Having your conversation, be honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So God will get glory in the day of visitation. And the people who do good works will put that glory of God on display. So that, that day of the Lord, it's coming, and God's going to have to look and see, okay, where am I at here? Have you displayed any glory of me, or have you been a misrepresentation of my image? I made you. I created you to be an image of me. Did you represent that? Did you allow my love to cover you? Did you allow my grace to cover you? Did you repent when you made mistakes, or did you completely shut off my word? completely ignored my word, closed it, and wrote your own story. He will look at it, and depending on which, which way you did, he'll build you into this kingdom or throw you into the lake of fire. We want to be builded into his kingdom. For not only is it a blessing and a glory to be seen by others in this life, but it is the eternal destination that brings joy and peace in the character of God. In, in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. The day of the Lord, will you see any man? No, the only image you will see the only man image you would see is the one that God manifested, that the flesh that he put on. There's only one throne, and the one on it, his name is Jesus, the only name whereby we must be saved. He will be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty. Upon everyone that is lifted up, he shall be brought low. Jumping to verse 17 through 19, it says, The loftiness of man shall be bowed down. The haughtiness of men who built themselves up. God's going to say, You're, you can't be there. That's my place. And you tried to take my place. And I warned you. I was long-suffering with you. But this is your place now because of trying to take my place. There is only one place on the throne, and it is the Lord's place. The Lord alone shall be exalted on that day. Verse 18, And the idols he shall utterly abolish. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks, into the caves of the earth, for fear of the Lord, and for the glory of his majesty. For when he arises to shake terribly the earth. There's a time of shaking. There's a time where the only things that have been planted on God's word, or the only things that have been built on the kingdom of God will stand and everything else will fade away. The, the word says that there is, you no, know, there is everything, everything will fade away except for the word of God. Everything will fade away except for what God has put in place. So the glory of God's majesty is going to be revealed on the day of the Lord. And when you see that glory, you're going to be like, finally, I get to see what I've been searching for. Or you will say, oh, no, I never thought that God would appear in his glory, and I am not ready. It's one or the other. 
So I think of having the fear of the Lord. How would you describe that? What is having the fear of the Lord? Um, people have described it as being reverent of God. It's also being, you know, terrified of God. I think one of the best definitions of the fear of the Lord is to take him seriously. If you've got a good father and you fear him, you're going to take him seriously. You might not always try to run away. In fact, you're most likely going to try to run to a good father. But if you fear him, you're going to take him seriously. And that's what God wants for us. We should have a fear of the Lord to take him and his word seriously. I want to read something that I read in the commentary of my apostolic study Bible. It says, the specific phrase, the day of the Lord, also speaks of the day of vengeance of our God. Other prophets also use this end term or eschatological term or end time term, and like Amos. Amos warned that readers, he warned readers not to hope for the day of Jehovah because of the destruction that would ensue. Joel wrote of the horrors of war on this day, but he also promised salvation to whoever shall call on the name of the Lord. Peter quoted in Joel on his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, it connects the day of the Lord to the day of rapture. So the day of the Lord will be a time of calamity for the wicked, but a day of rejoicing for believers. Day of rejoicing for believers. I really like how they have that in the commentary because it's the right perspective. Depending on if you're ready for the day of the Lord, it would be something that you really want to happen or you really dread. So we talked about the purpose of the day of the Lord, and I'll just recap. It's so that all will know that the Lord is God, so that he gets the glory, the wicked will be punished, the righteous will be justified, so that we fear him, and that's so we prepare prepare. So how can we be spared on the day of the Lord? How can it be so that we can be when God comes and says, this is the day of the Lord, and you come into my kingdom? Or this is the day of the Lord, and you cannot, and you must go. How can we be spared? How can we be spared that in the day of the Lord? Well, we must have a repentant heart. We must hold the truth We must love God more than any fleshly thing. And we must live in a manner that you're always ready for his return. There's some scriptures in Ezekiel that talk about this. Ezekiel 9, 4 through 5 says, And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark on the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. I want to be like these people that sigh and cry for the abominations that are done in our midst. There are many prophets who didn't commit the sins themselves, but said, God, forgive us of the violence. Forgive us of the sexual immorality. Forgive us of the murders. Forgive us of the the mistreatment of children. Forgive us for the things that we have done that were against your word. Those that sigh and cry, they get a mark on their foreheads. And it says in verse 5, and the others, so those that don't have the mark on their foreheads, he said in mine hearing, go ye after them through the city and smite. 
and let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. So the sin in this world, it ought to hurt us a bit. If we're like God, sin's going to hurt us a bit. Seeing sin is going to hurt our hearts. And it's our response to that sin that God's going to see. So we want that mark that God puts of I'm pushing away sin and I regret it and I'm going to repent even if I haven't done it. Those around me who have, I want that mark. I don't want the mark of the beast. The mark that says, I want the mark of man. Man is the one who's going to fix all of this. No, we need to trust in the Lord and not trust in man and his ways. Ezekiel 13, 5. You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up an hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is a day of battle. And we must surround ourselves by a hedge. Not necessarily greenery and leaves and plants. Although those can be helpful. But a hedge, what's this hedge made of? I mean, in the physical, a lot of hedges might have been stone, brick, something like that. But he's talking of the hedge of truth. We need a hedge of truth. When there is no truth, the people perish. When there's no vision, you can't see what God wants you to see, the people perish. Without truth, what can we stand on? So we need to hold on to truth. And Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50 says, Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Edom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters, and she did not strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. So we must love God more than protecting our flesh. That's pride. Protecting our flesh is pride. We must love God more than eating lots of delicious food or fullness of bread. I've eaten some good food in my time. But if that's more important than God, I got to check myself. I got to fix something. We got to put our flesh underneath God. We must love God more than living in ease, fullness of idleness, and avoiding the needy. We can't ignore the needs around us. We need to do what God would do. If he prompts you to help someone, do it. You'll, you will not regret it. You will not regret it. Also, Luke 17, 28 through 30 says, Likewise, also it was in the days of Lot. They ate, drank, bought, sold, planted, and built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So people were going on their normal day. They had their task list or they were doing what they were planning to do. And they didn't anticipate that day. It also describes the day of the Lord as a thief that comes in the night. You don't expect a thief to come in the night every night. So you don't know when they might be there. But if you're prepared, if you're a strong man, if you know, if you're ready for that day, you'll be okay. If you're not ready for that day, it will not go well. So how can we be spared We want to be spared in the day of the Lord. We must have a repentant heart. We must hold on to the truth. 
We must love God more than any fleshly thing. We must live in a manner that we're always ready for his return. So I have a, a coworker who, so I want, I want the people around me to be ready for this day of visitation. And it has literally been months where it's just in the back of my mind, I need to invite this guy to a Bible study. I need to invite him. And so he's really nice. He's very approachable, personable. Um, he's probably one of the people who more people come to because they like talking to him. And so it's easy for me to talk to him, but it's still a challenge for me to come up and say, can I do a Bible study with you? And it's taken me, literally I've had it in my phone as a reminder for like at least six weeks in a row. It's like, oh, this is the right time, or he's not in the office today, or he's working in a different facility, or he's here but he's in a meeting, or, or he's, I don't know if he's busy. And, but it's been on my heart, and it's like, I want people to be ready and this is how easy it was. I finally got myself this week to ask him. So we were talking about some other stuff, and I was like, oh, yeah, um, I'm doing some Bible studies this year, and I was wondering if you'd be interested in doing a one-on-one -on -one Bible study with me. And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. It was easy. I have it on my calendar. In two weeks, Wednesday, we're going to meet for lunch and start talking the Bible, see where he's at, see where he can grow, and God's going to work in those situations. So, it, and I've had it too, where it's like, okay, I finally got to ask this somebody, and they're like, oh, I don't, I'm not too interested. And you know, that's okay. You, it's not because of me, and they're not rejecting me. If they're hungry enough, they're going to be so ready for it. So we just need to present that opportunity. Be that light, shine, be consistent, and just say, Hey, are you interested in this? And it might be something that they've wanted for so long and that's been in their heart, and they were just waiting for the opportunity to grab. So don't be afraid to reach out to those around you because we want everyone to be ready, as many as possible. We want to be with the Lord. So what are some ways we can prepare for this day of the Lord? So I've got five points here. I'll hit them again, and then we'll study them and remember them again. So study and obey the word of God will help you prepare for the day of the Lord. Count the cost and be all in. Learn what will please God and pursue it. Operate in faithfulness and consistency and keep your heart pure in a repentant state. So in Luke chapter 20, um, I'm not going to read all of this parable but it's the parable of the husbandmen or the um, wicked tenants. Um, the first verse, Luke 29 says, Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. So he, he said, okay, I need you guys to work on my field and plant my plants. I'm going to travel out here, and when I come back, I want there to be some progress. I want to have a harvest. So what did the, what did the husbandman do? Well, the, ser the boss isn't here, so let's just take a few days off. Let's maybe plant what we want to eat. You know, the early crop, maybe we'll get a benefit. I don't know what they did. They could play, play some hooky. They could play some cricket. They could play some basketball. 
They could do some fun stuff, or they could do whatever they wanted. The, the master's not here. And the master's over here like, I wonder how they're doing over there in the field. Um, I'm going to send one of my guys over to check on them. And they're like, oh, no, here comes one of the servants of the master, and we don't really want to change our ways or fix stuff over here. We kind of like how it's been going. So we're going to reject this guy, send him back, or get rid of him, throw him in the back. And the, the master's like, I uh, wonder what happened to my servant. I have not heard news, and not good news. He sent another, maybe another. And then he's like, finally, I'm going to step down and go there myself. And he comes. And what happens when the, the scriptures say the son of the master comes? They said they take him and they say, look, this is the master's son. If we get rid of him, we'll get the inheritance of the land. They do away with the master's son. And at the end of this parable, Jesus says, what will the master of the vineyard do to the husbandman? And it says, he will come and destroy these husbandmen and give the vineyards to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. We cannot be like these husbandmen. And, and this is a picture of the Old Testament too. It's the prophets coming to Israel one after another to give them warning so that they would repent, turn from the ways and start planting, start harvesting. It was an opportunity. It was the grace of God. And then when the son came, you know, Jesus wrapped in flesh came. He was the chief cornerstone but was rejected. He came to fulfill the law, and yet it was crucified by his own people. And what will happen to us if that's how we treat what God has done for us, for the sacrifice he paid on the cross, for the Holy Spirit he's given us, for the gifts if we reject them? He cannot be happy about that. So this is a picture of how we, we have opportunities to repent and get ready for when the, when the master comes so that he can say, what would be better for, for us to hear than him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and be with me forever. Yes. Has anyone heard of brain games here? kind of a fun, uh, a fun program where they show how the brain works. There's one episode that talks about how sometimes we do things that we shouldn't and how we can have some addictive lifestyles. So in this one episode, they do an experiment, and they bring all these children in, and they set them at a table, and they put a bag of cotton candy in front of them, and they say, if you don't take any cotton candy in the next 10 minutes, then you can get two bags. So some of the kids, what do you think happened? They probably didn't last five seconds. They're like, hmm, okay. Uh, I'm just going to have this one here right now. Some of the kids did pretty good. They sat there and they're like, you know, I really want two bags of cotton candy. So what do they do? Well, some of them had some pretty good tactics. They would like look away they like start tapping, start humming. <laughs> They're distracting themselves from the temptation at the moment so that they could get the prize at the end. So I think there may have been a small majority that actually got the two bags. But, you know, most, most kids have trouble 
refraining from something as alluring as cotton candy. So that's just how the kids would act, right? Not the adults. Well, they tried another experiment, and they brought all these people, um, like maybe business people, and said, hey, we have a, a certain experiment we want to run, you know, like how they might do surveys or whatever. It'll take this amount of your time, and if you follow the rules and you do what's expected of you, you'll leave with 50 bucks. So they come in, and part of the rules is you take your, your phone and you put it in a, a clear container, and then you go and you sit, and they're, they're waiting for the instructor or whoever to, you know, go through surveys or whatever they're going to do. Well, while they're waiting, suddenly their, their phone starts to ting, bing, ring, and they're sitting there like, I wonder who that is. That could be someone that I was talking with earlier. And they're sitting there waiting. They wait long enough. A number of the adults couldn't handle it anymore and wanted to see who was trying to reach out to them. Well, they didn't know that back behind the cameras that were watching them, they had the brain games people had their numbers and they were texting them and calling them to see if they could handle, you know, keeping that phone away long enough to meet the requirements of the test. Well, there were people making calls, texting. I think some of them might have been like, you know, I'm really going to follow the rules. And, and they made it. So we really need to prepare for God's day of visitation. When that time comes, the 10 minutes is over. Okay, I got two bags of cotton candy. Where are you at? Or I'm coming in with my 50 bucks. Where are you at? Did you follow what I instructed you to do? We got to be ready for that. We got to be ready. So how can we be ready? Well, there's the five wise virgins. Five wise virgins. They were prepared for the groom. I think they must have regularly been pressing olives to get some enough oil for the lamps. They didn't necess- it wasn't uh they did the necessary yet inconvenient work to squeeze the oil from the olives or to pay the price for to have someone do it. They counted the cost. And they were all in. They were prepared, and they were willing to pay to be prepared. We talked about the uh, wicked husbandmen. So they, they would have taken care of their master's belongings and honored him if they would have repented and stepped up to the game. But they didn't do what God entrusted them with the way that they should have. They didn't handle the land properly. So what has God put in your vineyard? What has he put you a steward of? Who has he put in your house? Or what people has he put in your life to influence? You know, there's also the parable of talents where he gave some five, three, and one, or ten, five, and one. And don't just take what God has given you and bury it, but do something with it. God's looking for something when he comes back. So Solomon, he was running a business, running business as usual. He had wisdom, excellence. He had his servants running like a well-oiled machine. And because of that, he was prepared. And it drew the queen of Sheba to see, wow, this is amazing. It's more than what I even expected. And that, that was because all of the time in preparation for the visit he was able to show something great. He had something to show because of his preparation. 
Daniel. He consistently did the boring, yet consist the the boring yet important things every day. He prayed three times a day. And this discipline and loyalty to God is what shut the lion's mouths when it was when the time came. That was the day of visitation, and the Lord's like, I'm here. What do you need? So we really got to be ready. And we got to beware of some of the things that are coming at us in this world. Because there's a lot of things trying to trick you. Beware of the deception of, like, the he gets us campaign. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, you're excused to be who you want to be. Rather, he said, in John 8, you shall die in your sins. In 2 Peter 3, 9, repent of your sins so you won't perish. So don't be deceived. The enemy's tactic is to ensure that you're not ready for the day of visitation. So the enemy's going to say, he did it all. There's no action required of you at all. You're here, and you're good to go. Well, of course he doesn't want you to get up and do exploits and advance the kingdom of God and partner with God. So he's going to try to convince you any way possible because he's afraid of what might happen if you partner with God. Because a man with the Spirit of God flowing is much more dynamic on this earth than someone with the most intelligence and charisma and talent. Without God, can't get too far. All right, so how do we prepare for this day of the Lord? Study and obey the Word of God. Count the cost and be all in. Learn what will please God and pursue it. Operate in faithfulness and consistency. And keep your heart pure and in a repented state. So this day of the Lord, it reveals the need for salvation. If there wasn't a place for God to inspect and to throw throw the wicked, evil things that don't have any imprint or fingerprint left on them of him, it reveals that there's a place where we need to be saved. It reveals the need for salvation so that we don't have to go to that place that wasn't even prepared for us in the first place. So remember, salvation is a process that's not one-sided. We've been talking about this, I think, on Wednesday nights, how it's an elastic word. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. It's um, The false doctrine is Jesus paid the price, so there's nothing you can do to hinder or advance his salvation of your soul. Well, the truth is, The truth is he paid the price for your choice. He's given us a chance to apply that sacrifice to our lives. So let's look at what salvation looked like real quick in four different scenarios. For Noah, there was grace of God because Noah was warned of the impending flood. He responded in faith by believing God and walking in righteousness And his obedience was that he built the ark, and he was in it on that day. For Abraham, there was the grace of God which called him to be a father of the faithful. He responded in faith and believed God that he would give him a son. And in obedience, he took steps in response to his faith by by obeying the word of the Lord with an intention to sacrifice Isaac in accordance to God's word. Thank God he didn't have to. Um, Israel, the people of God, God gave grace. He gave them the law. 
And they believed God, Abraham, Moses. That was their response in faith. And if they operated in obedience, they followed his commandments. So sometimes they did it. They would operate according to that covenant, that circumcision covenant in obedience in the Old Testament. That's what God set up and brought salvation. So for us, God's grace has come, and there is no chance we can't be saved. We can be saved unless there was a, a payment for us. So it is by God's grace that we are saved. And it's through faith, which is our belief in the gospel and the plan of salvation. But don't leave it there. We need to apply that in obedience, by repentance, by walking in baptism, by pursuing the Holy Spirit, living in faithfulness and in holiness. That is how God is turning us into, you know, the shiny piece that he wants to crown in his kingdom. He said, yes, I was able to make that one just the way it needs to be. And look at how great it is. That's what he wants in our salvation process, to continue growing and not to stop and definitely not to turn back. So what's your next step in the process? Have you believed God? Have you confessed the things that were not of God, the things that you don't want to be in your life? Have you repented and changed your mind and started living differently than you had before? Have you been baptized? Have you taken that blood that was applied to the doorpost in the, when they were leaving Egypt so that the angel of the Lord would not kill him? Have you taken that blood and been buried in it in his name, and applying the blood of Jesus on our lives like the, the new covenant is for us? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you allowed him and surrendered to him so that he takes control of you? How, how he allows your mouth to be his and speaks through you. How he um, guides your steps and leads you and shows you his fruit and allows you to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, have you pursued faithfulness, saying, okay, God, I'm going to keep living for you even though it's harder than it was right at the beginning? Keep it up because it's going to pay off on that day of visitation. Keep it up because there is a day it will all pay off. Have you continued to walk in holiness? I want to reflect God's holiness. Be holy because he is holy. And present your bodies to him. We are his image, and let's represent him well. So there's uh, the day of the Lord's a day when there's a dividing line drawn, as we see in so many of Jesus' disciples, his parables, to his disciples and to others. There's the parable of the wheat and a parable of the tares. The wheat and the tares. There's the net, the great net that's spread out. And then they take everything and they say, okay, this one is bad and this one is good. The, this is all talking about the day of the coming of the Son of God, the day of vengeance, the day of visitation. There is the parable of the, the sower. Was this ground thorny, hard, unreceiving, or was it good ground? Did it produce a crop? Did it create what I needed it to? There was the parable of the sheep and the goats. We need, you know, it literally says there was a dividing line between the goats and the sheep. On that day, we want to be on the right side of the line. So my goal is not to scare you into a commitment that you won't keep. 
Yet if you put forth efforts toward preparing for what God expects, you will not be disappointed when he, is, when he arrives. You will be blessed and you will have a great reward. So I have a few more scriptures that I'm going to jump over. But here's a, p- a couple bottom lines for what God is looking for when he arrives. He's coming for a spotless bride, without blemish, without wrinkle. He expect us, expects us to be profitable for his kingdom. And he's looking for righteousness. He's looking for his people, his family, those that were born into his kingdom. He's like, all right, where's my kids? I'm coming to get them. It's the day of visitation. Everyone else, nope, you're not coming, just my family. So we got to be in the family of God. We need to live the way a son of God or a daughter of God needs to live. So if you could come up. I'd like to quickly review what we've been talking about and prepare our hearts for God to do a work in us. If there's something in us that needs to be washed out, cleaned out, let him do it today. And if you've been faithful, continue in that faithfulness and hold on to the joy that is coming your way. So, Because the day of visitation, as we learned, is judgment, punishment, destruction, vengeance, wrath, death. But it's also justice, deliverance, and salvation. The purpose of it is so that all will know that God is the Lord and that he is to be exalted above all and that he is full of glory. It's so that the wickedness in this world will be punished that can no longer flourish, but that righteousness will be justified. It's so that we fear him, take God seriously, and it's so that we prepare our hearts for him. To be spared in the day of the Lord, we must have a repentant heart. Hold tightly the word of truth. Literally, wrap it around your waist, the belt of truth. We must love God more than any fleshly thing. Sodom and Gomorrah, they had a lot of fleshly things. And God said, I'm done with you. You're all about the flesh. You've completely ignored me. You're done. Put God above the flesh. Live in a manner that you're always ready for his return. At the end of the day, say, God, how, how did I do today? What can I do better? Thank you for your goodness and your blessing. And help me to be who you want me to be. I want to be even more prepared tomorrow for when you will return, when you will come back. How do we prepare? Study. Obey the word of God. You got to know what pleases the groom when you're going to be walking down the, the aisle. We must hold on to the truth. We must count the cost and be all in. We have to learn what pleases God and pursue it. Operate in faithfulness and consistency. Keep your heart pure and in a repentant state. And as we, as we finished off, God's coming for a spotless bride who profits his kingdom, who is walking in righteousness in his family. So if we could all stand, let's take a moment to prepare. Get ready for that day. I think he's coming soon, whether it's in a week, a month, a year or a decade, we can start preparing now and be ready more tomorrow than we were today. So if you would join me in prayer. 
feel free to come up. Feel free to bend a knee. Feel free to just look up to the Lord. God, we come before you today, and we thank you that we have a day to look forward to where you will justify your people, that we as your family have great things to look for, God. I pray that we would put away the things that have hindered us from getting close to you. We want you to be able to visit now and in this time and be useful for your kingdom, O oh God. We honor you, Jesus. We pray that you would help us to wash off the, the dirt, to iron out the wrinkles. We want to be as, as beautiful as we can for that day of your return. We want to be that. We want to put a smile on your face. God, we thank you for for the day that you have prepared. It is a day we can look forward to because it is a prize for our faithfulness to you because it'll be all worth the cost. It'll be worth the things that we've, that we've set aside. It'll be worth um, times of affliction. It'll be worth sacrifices. It'll be worth the times we've given into your kingdom. And it was painful to do because it was beyond what we normally would have been. It will all pay off on that day. Lord, we pray that your spirit would guide us. We pray that we would take the next step that you have for us. I thank you, Lord, for all of us being different parts of the body, that we can all come together in unity and be ready and to prepare others for this day when you visit us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We pray that you would move in our lives, that you would direct our steps. Let your word be in our heart today. Oh, Lord, let us reach out to those who are destined for the, for the death and destruction, oh, Lord, and help us to influence them so that they can think about repentance and turn from their ways. For you are a just God. And those who have turned, you will, you will bless. Help us to lead this world to repentance. Help us to be an example of who you want us to be, Lord God. When there is a shaking, let us stand because we are in your family and we're connected to you, connected to the solid foundation built on the apostles' doctrine with the cornerstone of Jesus. Thank you, God. Prepare our hearts. Help us to be ready. Help our families to be prepared. Help those who are connected to the church be prepared. Help the prodigals, oh God, to be reconnected to your family and be ready for this day of visitation. We thank you, God, for putting our names in the book of life. Thank you for giving us your blood that we can apply to our lives. Thank you, God, for the progress that we make as we grow in you, God. Thank you for the new births that take place into the kingdom of God. Those who have moved from this second death to be able to experience life in your kingdom, oh God. We thank you for your salvation, oh Lord. Yes, lead us in love to those around us. Blessed be your name. Thank you, God. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy 
breathe. We live for you. 